you know by now that the dogs in my house wear Paco collars, and the newest addition is Stig's tan leather collar with brass fittings and turquoise stones. It seriously looks like the bay we bought our house on, and his smooth coat and long neck show it off perfectly. We picked it out in person at Paco's booth, and the staff helped us to be sure we got the exact fit and style that was right for him. I catch myself mesmerized by this collar when I walk him. How crazy is that? So get over to PacoCollars.com and grab a collar you'll be obsessed with, and don't forget to use the promo code COGDOG for free shipping. We've got a puppy. Puppy Elementary is my puppy training subscription service, and it's all about our new puppy, Watson. It's just $45 for six months of Watson's development and education, and you'll have indefinite access to the materials, so sign up anytime. Just go to www.thecognitivecanine.com and click the Puppy Elementary tab at the top of the page to register. Each week, you'll have access to multiple training videos and blogs, as well as constant access to the Puppy Elementary Facebook group, where you can talk about your progress with other students. Watson won't stay little for long, so join now. Hey there, dog people of the internet. It's me, Sarah Strumming of The Cognitive Canine, and this is called Dog Radio, a podcast about all things dog sports and dog training. Join me as I explore my cases and considerations regarding the behavior of the dogs we live and play with. I hope you enjoy it. So today I want to talk about this trend, um, for better or worse, that I have seen, observed um, in the positive reinforcement pet dog training world. And it's probably in the performance world as well, but it shows up more in pet dog training. Um, And it's maybe not even a trend, but just kind of a cultural tendency towards asking our clients to simply avoid the situations in which their dog um, does the things they don't like. So I'm going to give you a few examples. Dog barks and lunges at other dogs while on leash. Owner is told to walk the dog at 4 a.m. or not walk the dog at all. Um, Drive to remote locations to walk the dog, etc. Or, you know, the dog is barking in class in a group class situation and owner is told to just remove the dog from the room or uh, put up a barrier so the dog can't see what's going on and while none of these are quote-unquote bad suggestions they are incomplete suggestions and they leave our clients not actually knowing what to do in the moment and this is what I think leads people directly to um, corrections, correction-based training. Because if we don't help them handle those situations, those real-life situations where they are going to find themselves, if we don't help them with that, they are going to go to the trainer who will. And the trainer who will is the one that's going to say, correct the dog when they make the mistake, when they do the behavior that we don't like. you know, and then we wonder over here why we have lost clients to those trainers. And I have definitely been guilty of this, especially when 
my primary position was as a pet dog trainer. Um, I wanted to keep all my training very clean. I wanted everything to be done correctly. And so I wanted the triggers avoided until the dog had the skill set that it needed to experience the trigger. And that's, that's a good way to go. Unfortunately, it's not a totally realistic way to go a lot of the time. So while we can say to the person whose dog is, um, you know, behaving inappropriately at the dog park, while we can say you need to skip the dog park for a while, it's not as fair to say don't walk the dog at all. Um, It's also not fair to say, you know, you just can't bring the dog to class because it's barking or leave the dog in the car so that you can hear the information or you know, et cetera, et cetera. And I, and I think that um, in our effort to kind of keep our training really, really nice and clean and perfect, we don't teach people how to deal with the messy moments. And what's unfortunate about that is that life is messy. And then what they do is they correct. And that, you know, isn't you know, really what I'm here to talk about. I'm not here to talk about why maybe corrections are not the best way to go. I think if you're listening to my podcast, you probably already feel that way. Um, but understand that those corrections always come with fallout and that fallout is oftentimes um, just bigger behavior problems than the person had before, as well as, you know, popping a leash or hitting a button that uh, zaps the dog. Those things don't necessarily um, or don't ever, I don't think, feed the bond that I want to be nurturing in my clients. So this, you know, asking people to simply avoid the things that are hard, the triggers at all costs is really hurting our industry. And it's hurting, it's hurting your business as a pet dog trainer, if that's, if that's your primary, um, goal. And so I'm going to give you some, more kind of actionable steps that you can take. So if the dog is doing a thing that we don't want to see the dog do anymore, find a management solution that is not simply, plainly, black and white, avoid that situation. If that situation is actually unavoidable. And so many of these situations are unavoidable. When we say just don't let your dog interact with other dogs because your dog's kind of a jerk sometimes to other dogs, now we isolate a social creature. And if we do that to a young intact male, for instance, this is a discussion that's been popping up in my newsfeed a lot. Young intact males that are being kind of grumpy towards other intact males or even other, other neutered males, we often just say, well, just avoid that. They shouldn't be interacting with other males. And then when we say that, they're actually not learning how to appropriately interact with other males. And they will simply maintain this problem into adulthood. And so, number one, find a management solution that does not mean isolation, that does not mean restriction of this social creature that needs to move its body every single day. So this is where I really like muzzles. Um, A nice basket muzzle can really help you to address a lot of aggression problems without major risk of anybody getting hurt. If the dog is on a leash and the problems happen when the dog is on a leash, put the dog on something uh, as far as a no-pull device is concerned that will help the person to physically control the dog if they have to. 
And it's up to you to decide, you know, what's within your ethics there. If a front connection harness is the only way you're going to go, then you need to find one that um, mechanically will work for your clients. If a gentle leader or another head collar is going to be better for the situation in front of you, then go that direction. And just know that if there are going to be situations where the person is physically going to have to control the dog, you need to give the person the tools to be able to do so. Because if you can't, once again, they're going to go down the road to the correction trainer and they are going to give them the tools that allow them to control the dog. And we just lost another person to that kind of training. So know that life is not perfect and we have to teach people how to work with their dogs through those imperfect moments. So another example is um, puppies getting really excited in puppy class. Maybe they are antsy because they know the off-leash time is coming up. Don't just put up barriers. Don't just unclip those leashes but help those people function through that moment. And don't be so afraid of the fact that the puppy's excited. I think that we work so hard to keep puppies calm and under threshold all the time that we don't help people to work with their puppy in that higher, more aroused state. And maybe in that state, we should give the puppy something to shred. Uh, Maybe we should give them something to tug on, maybe something to chew. And then that way the puppy is actually actively doing something while they're super excited. Um, And don't spend any time lecturing people as to why this works either. Just say, here, try this. They'll see that it worked. They'll go home. They'll try it themselves. So then when they come home from work and the puppy's again super excited, they'll give the puppy a pile of junk mail to shred and the puppy's not then biting them um, instead of that junk mail. So that's kind of, you know, giving people these actual tangible tools is so, so important. And you know, it's the same with my performance clients. If I say, you know, simply avoid the situations in which this occurs without giving a plan for getting you back into those real situations, it's a no-go. So I'm very clear with my clients, anything that you do in the ring when you are actually at a competition um, is not what I'm going to call training so much as damage control. So let's say your dog bites you if you make a mistake on course. You do need me to tell you what to do in that moment. Um, And you don't have any food on you and you don't have a toy either. So you have to have an action. You have to have an action plan there Um, because it's going to happen sometimes because you're not going to be perfect. So in that moment, that's where I ask the dog for the start button behavior to to see if the dog is able to continue to work. And one of my clients is fully going to be able to do that because I have taught you my procedure that includes the start button behavior. So that's kind of just a just another example. But back to pet dog training a little bit, I think we also, um, in a perfect world, all of our pet dog clients would have, you know, in my mind, purpose-bred pet dogs, meaning something that was bred on purpose to be a pet, so its temperament is excellent for that situation. But in reality, you look around in a puppy class and you've got... Um, a mixed breed from a shelter that was, you know, uh, surrendered because they were biting the children in the home out of excitement. Uh, maybe you've got somebody who got a Malinois because they think that they look cool. Uh, somebody over here called a student with a pit bull would like to go to the dog park. You know, 
people don't always make the best decisions as far as what dog is right for their situation. That's very real. Um, and we got to help people anyway. We got to say, this is the situation in front of me. This family would like to keep this dog. How am I going to help them keep this dog? And that might be saying, okay, hey, your Malinois in puppy class should learn some toy skills because he wants to bite stuff. And uh, your Pity in puppy class should learn how to wear a muzzle um, if you want to have him off leash around other dogs because the likelihood is he's going to grow up and maybe not care for every single dog that he comes across. And understand, you guys, I know I'm making gross generalizations here, and I do, I'm not trying to say that all mouths are this or all pits are this, but... I'm trying to give you examples of the clients that might walk into your class and what they might need, which is beyond the kind of status quo. We design pet dog training classes for those really nice pet dogs. And so when you get the showbred golden retriever that um, is in the family with two children who, you know, is, has a one very dedicated parent and, you know, gets an appropriate amount of exercise and attention, your class material is going to shine. It's going to look perfect, but that's not going to be all of your puppies. And we have to learn to adjust to the puppies in front of us, the dogs in front of us, so that we can help the clients in front of us. And I spent way too much time trying to tell people to change, to alter their lives too much, to isolate themselves and their dogs and that wasn't helpful. Um, and then kind of my next phase was telling people why XYZ was so important. Like, um, I want you to click when the dog looks at another dog and then I want you to feed him. And here's a lecture about why that's important. I don't do that anymore either. And I've, if I were still teaching group dog training classes today, there would be, it would be 99% hands-on training, um, people actually training their dogs with a lot of instruction as to what to do in the moment and zero less than one percent lecture and it used to be man so lecture heavy and so just preaching at these people and they don't want it they just want you to tell them what to do and when you tell them what to do and they do it and they see that it works you bought them okay and your lecture will never buy them because first of all, they tuned you out. They're thinking about their grocery list um, or their checkbook or you know whatever else they're thinking about. And second of all, they don't care. They don't wanna be dog trainers. If I take my car in to get its oil changed, um, I don't need to be lectured. I have been lectured. I don't go back to that mechanic. <laughs> I go to the one that fixes my problem and gives me my car back. And I realize dogs are not cars. But in the same sense, you've got to teach these people actionable steps. I needed to learn how to drive my car and do basic car care, but I don't need to learn anything more than that because I don't want to know more than that. And that's that's so many of our clients, you guys, and especially for pet dog trainers here. So I think a lot of this stems from another kind of core issue that I'm seeing popping up and I'm seeing a lot of my colleagues discussing which is this idea of you know seeking perfectionism in our own dogs so if we're positive reinforcement based trainers we a lot of the times feel pressure to have our dogs be perfect in public all the time and then if they can't be 
we leave them home. <laughs> we don't take them out. We do exactly what we would tell our clients to do. Meanwhile, I don't know about you, but the local, in my town, the local e-collar trainer uh, is healing his dog around um, Cabela's off leash. And his dog's being perfect. So that's what the public is seeing. And it's very important for us to not try to obtain perfection with our own dogs because when we do, we know we won't get there. And so we just don't take those dogs out. And that was me for a long time. And now I take my imperfect dogs everywhere I go. I pay them with food when they're being wonderful. And almost more important than that, I manage them when they're not. So a few months ago, I took Felix into just a pet food store. Um, he likes doing that kind of thing. He likes visiting with everybody. But I walked him in there and he was just having a day and he started barking. He was just having big feelings. He was fine. He was eating. He was listening, but he was barking. And so I just finally said, okay, you know what? Let's go take a break then. And I went and I put him in the car and I came in and I did my shopping. And then I put my shopping in the car and I brought him back in and I just worked in one corner of the store on a few things he could do and I left. And I didn't really do that for Felix. I did that because the other people in the store, I wanted them to see a person managing a dog's behavior with positive reinforcement. If I can have one person see what I'm doing and go try what I was doing with their dog, then I will have made the ripple that I intend to make every day. So that's just one of those tiny ways that we can change. And when I have my dogs, uh, whenever I go on a walk for the first time with somebody who only knows me from the internet, <laughs> which happens quite a bit, I like to go on off-leash hikes um, anywhere I go. And so when I take my dogs on a walk with somebody for the first time and they see that my dogs are not perfect and they see how I manage my dogs, which is also not perfect, but a constant back and forth kind of conversation and exchange with my dogs. Um, I get the comment, wow, I feel so, <laughs> you know, I feel so good that your dogs aren't perfect. And I always laugh because I never said that they were. But you guys see my training protocols, you hear me talk about training a lot, and you figure my dogs are probably perfect. My God, they're so far from it. What's going right for me is that I try to set us all up for success and I keep positive reinforcement in mind and I don't panic when a mistake does happen. So, um, you know, if my dog does get barky lungy at something or maybe freaks out about something, I had Felix in um, Cabela's the other day, which is kind of a camping and hunting gear store if you're not familiar with it. And um he saw the, they've got all these taxidermied animals in there. So he saw it was an elk or something that was stuffed and kind of took him by surprise. And he kind of hackled up and looked at it and was like, oh my God, what is that? And, you know, vocalized a little bit, got a little bit of attention. And um, I just kind of stood there and let him look at it and let him have his moment. And then when he came back to me, I sweet-talked him a little, and he kind of sweet-talked me back. He did his little woo-woo, you know, cute noise he makes, and I pet him, and I gave him some food, and then we and then we walked on. And at least five people saw this whole thing go down. And I knew that 
the taxidermied animals would be something he'd never experienced. He's only ex- he has experienced a live elk, but never um, a dead one that has been stuffed and put in a store. I mean, that's pretty weird if you want to get real about it. Um, I knew he'd never seen anything like that before. I could have avoided it and avoided that outburst, but I think there was a learning moment there for him and the five people watching us. And that's worthwhile if you feel like you can handle it. Had I panicked, had I yelled at him, had I immediately thrown food in panic, um, it may not have gone as well. But I just kind of took a deep breath, let him have his moment. When he was done having his moment, then I gave him some food um, in the form of a scatter, as I usually do. And then we walked on. And I got to tell you, nothing makes me happier than walking around with a beautifully behaved dog, walking on a loose leash, eating food for being wonderful. um, Nothing makes me happier than doing that in a store like Cabela's, which sells a lot of aversive training equipment. It's a big hunting dog supply store. Oh, we got a firework. (laughs) Excuse our minor interruption. Fireworks. Um, Anyway, it's a big hunting dog supply store, so you've got a lot of... Um, shot collars, prong collars, all of that stuff in there. And my dog's walking around on a flat buckle collar, walking next to me on a loose lead, sitting, doing a downstay if I ask him to, and eating food. And that's the kind of stuff that we can and should teach our clients how to do. The best dog, pet dog trainers I know, man, they're out there on location a lot of the time helping these people get better with their dogs. And if that means that your dog comes out of the car and does a station near the car and just eats food while people walk by in the parking lot and then you try again next time to walk closer to the door of Cabela's, then that's what that means. But the bottom line and the major point I want to make is that we have to help people deal with their dogs in the real world because that's where they live. And so bringing them into a sterile training environment and putting up barriers so nobody can bark at each other. And which by the way, that I'm talking about basic pet dog training classes. If you've got a reactive rovers type class and you're putting up barriers, I'm not villainizing you for that. I think that's a good idea to begin with. But putting up barriers so that your puppies and puppy K can't bark at each other and not just helping people to deal with their dogs in real time is hurting our industry. And we've got to talk more. Um, about helping these people just have management solutions that work for them in the moment. Because if we don't give them that stuff, they just stop taking their dogs out and the dog's lives suffer and sometimes the people's lives suffer too. So just a little bit of food for thought. Um, Be sure to engage about this, especially if you're a professional pet dog trainer over on the Cog Dog Radio Facebook page. I'll see you there. Thanks for listening to CogDog Radio. If you have questions or suggestions, shoot them over to CogDogRadio at gmail.com. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to like the CogDog Radio Facebook page. And until next time, happy training.